Great, I'm Robert Pearson and this is Follow the Leader. We're in another installment of the Blue Collar Bible Scholar, taking you from zero to the most obnoxious person in your Bible study class. Well, actually, the original Aramaic is, uh, don't, don't be that guy. Um, but know what that guy knows. And the goal is not to get there overnight or in 90 days or whatever, but just be moving in that direction at a slow, comfortable mosey. As you grow in your Christian faith, you should also grow in knowledge of the Bible and competence of these things. You should have a desire to move that direction. Uh, especially as a, as a man, your salvation's between you and Jesus, and that Bible's the only connection you guys have. And eventually, you have a family, your family's spiritual life is your responsibility. Do you guys go to church? Do you pray together? Do you study the Bible together? Uh, what's going on, bud? What's your family's theological standing and perspective? Why? Is it because your preacher told you that? I don't know. You should know. You should figure it out for yourself. And that's what I'm doing here. I teach you to fish. I don't give away fish. No fish. Just fishing poles. So, we're going over higher criticism today, or textual criticism, or historical criticism, or the historical critical method, or the Tubingen school, or Hegelian's dialectic comparative as uh, the basic operating premise for it's all nonsense, and uh, I want to explain why it's all nonsense and why you can wholesale ignore it. Um, I, I had to do this before going into any other Bible stuff because it's so pervasive in our culture. It is literally everywhere. Uh, you will hear it taught from pulpits all over the country, even in some very conservative churches, uh, just unknowingly taught. You'll hear it on television. Any Bible scholar on TV on a history channel, aliens in the Bible, even aliens in the Bible, um, these aren't going to be your traditional um, pastoral, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, guys. This is straight up godless, atheist academia, uh, university academia. And heaven knows why they study the Bible. But they do, and they insist on proliferating their backwards nonsense about it, uh, despite vehemently denying the existence of the God of that book. Pagans, what are you going to do? So, we're going to go through the, uh, they, for, for whatever reason, they mostly target Christianity. Uh, I would say it's a targeted attack by Satan, but, you know, they, they rarely focus their ire on the Quran or Hindu writings or Zoroastrianism or Confucianism. They, they basically just poke holes in the Bible and say, no, it's not historical. No, it's not accurate. Did Jesus even exist? Yeah, they never asked, did Muhammad even exist? But, oh well. We're tough. We could take it. So, the, uh, this is an interesting observation. That's all. The methods of the textual criticism are source criticism and form criticism and uh, redaction criticism or editorial criticism. And so I'm going to go through these one at a time to just kind of explain how they operate. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll go over why they're wrong and you can just wholesale throw it in the garbage and not think twice about it after today. Oh, oh wait, yeah, well... Driving forward, looking for space to get into an exit lane. Give me a sec. Sec, gotten. All right, here we go. 
first off, source criticism, what they do is they look at a book and guess how that book came about. So, let's assume that you have, I don't know, a Stephen King novel. And so, Stephen King wrote a story that he thought people would like to read, and then put it in bookstores. Higher criticism would say, oh, let's look at this as a metaphysical explanation of things. Did, is this Stephen King person even really a historical person? We notice in chapters 4 and, and 7 and 13 that more prepositions are used than the other chapters. And so we're going to theorize that there must be an early documentary source that uses a lot of prepositions that this was derived from decades later. All right, that's how they roll. That is exactly how they operate in source criticism, is they, they try and find weird anomalies of grammar and then guess that that means there are other writings that they've never found that they don't have any historical evidence of or any documentary evidence of. I'm, I'm getting into the problems with this as I go. It's hard to address it without it. Um, so they, they guess at where these documents came from uh, without any evidence or basis. I can't not take shots while I'm explaining what it is. I'm sorry. Form criticism is because they have an assumed way that documents appear, they then speculate on why that document appeared when it did, when they say it did, in history. As an example, we'll go into the Bible now for an example. Um, I believe the Bible's written when it says it was written in most cases, because uh, the author of the book straight up tells you that's it. So, they, they surmise that the entirety of the Bible, of the Old Testament, was written at around, like, three or four hundred B.C., or, well, four or three hundred B.C. During the intertestamental period, um, all of these multiple redactors slowly pieced everything together from oral tradition. And so, the Bible's real historical context is the occupation of the Ptolemies and the overthrow of the Ptolemies by the Maccabees. And so that's why there's all the Messiah imagery, and that's why they always thought it was going to be a political Messiah, as they were being oppressed by the Greeks. And then it stayed culturally irrelevant because they were in short order oppressed by the Romans. And that's why they were looking for Jesus when that's... No! No! Moses wrote the Old Testament, otherwise none of those books have any meaning. The whole reason the Bible has meaning is it's... I can't, I can't not upend it while I'm talking about it. Anyway, that's how they roll for uh, form criticism. They try and speculate about what is the historical, cultural significance of the writing, um, but it's, they use the history and the culture of a time completely alien to the text, and that date is derived by their speculation, by their guesswork. I won't use a fancy word for it, it's just guesswork. Uh, and then redaction criticism is the same thing almost as source criticism, except they're talking about authors, not documents. And so, you know, well, this different authors and editors assembled these multiple documents we've discerned from the ether. And so now, who are the different authors that influence a single text? 
you know, oh, this one used more prepositions, or this one split his infinitives, you know, also all the split infinitive passages are one author, and all the, the prolific um, prepositions are another author, and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's preposterous. So uh, now I'm getting into why I don't like it, and I, I can't present it objectively and then destroy it because it infuriates me. It operates on fundamental premises that are wholly untrue, and it operates entirely without evidence. Entirely without evidence. It is 100% conjecture. There is, there is absolutely zero documentary or manuscript evidence for any of the conjecture they put forth. So I'll give some specific examples in a minute. So let's let's go over their initial assumption. Their a priori assumptions. That just means crud that they assume is true and you can't really prove and is outside the scope of their study. They don't put it forward, they just operate it with it as an assumed premise. And then begin assuming down the road further and further, and then you only get the end of the line scholarship, which is miles off of where the Bible actually is, and it's dangerous to then base your theology on their study because they started with such a fundamentally flawed premise. First and foremost is materialism, secular humanism. Their entire realm of operation for studying the Bible exists inside of secular humanism. There are a bunch of godless, atheist heathens who are looking at this Bible, and therefore, everything supernatural, everything that refers to the divine, is necessarily false, is necessarily a lie. What are you going to do with that? That's not going to take you anywhere good. It undoes the entire base premise of Christianity. Jesus is not your friend, and he can't save you from sin and death if he's not a real person. Even if he was a real historical figure, he also has to be very God incarnate, rose again from the dead. Or who's, who's forgiving your sins? Who's saving you from death? What are sins? What is mercy? What is grace? I don't know. You don't have any of it. It has to be historically true. Or you don't have any of it. The other assumption is uh, social evolution. Not to be conflated with biological evolution, they are different things. So, biological evolution is living things evolved over time from simple structures to complex biological structures. Okay, that does not necessarily... So, I don't believe it's true, but assuming you believe biological evolution is true, social evolution is not necessarily true. It is also a different thing that should be proved, that should have to be proved and supported separately. Social evolution is the same thing, but for societal structures. All of the immaterial elements of human interaction, right? Our languages, our cultures, our governments, our religions, all of society has evolved from simple structures to more complex structures over time is the fundamental premise 
that they operate from, that they assume to be true in the same way that you assume the sun is going to rise tomorrow. They don't use it sometimes as a useful framework. No, they assume it to be true. So when they tell you Mark is the oldest gospel, it's not because the oldest manuscript we found is of Mark. It's not because church tradition, cross-referenced with some historical events we're aware of, places Mark's writing at the earliest possible date. No, it's simply because Mark is the shortest gospel. That's it. They assume short books are older than long books because all of writings evolve. They start out, we all know this, of course, they start out as oral traditions and sayings, and then they eventually coalesce into a written collection of sayings of the author's work, of the, the original speaker that it's about or whatever. And then those sayings get expanded on and anecdotes are added by successive redactions, and so the longer books will be later, right? So that's why all of the Tom Clancy novels of necessity are newer than all of the Dr. Seuss books. Because the Dr. Seuss books are shorter, they're older. That's, that's not, they don't logically connect that way. That's not necessarily true. That's incredibly bizarre that you would think that. I mean, it might coincide sometimes, but I don't know, if a guy sat down and wrote a book, it's as long as the book is when the guy wrote it. But they assume every ancient work of literature, whoop, sorry about that, every ancient work of literature is written this way. They assume it to be true. They don't prove it. They don't have any documentary evidence for it. Nothing. Nothing at all. They just assume it. The other assumed premise is that... Uh, I wrote down it so I don't get... Oh, right, right. Um, all, of, all of faith traditions are lies. So... Everybody who is a follower of Jesus is biased to paint Jesus in a positive light and exaggerate all of his miracles and wise teachings and exchanges. Um, so they, they, it is impossible them, for them to relate any objective details. Ergo, Jesus may not have ever existed. Uh, is the sort of the logic, the, the end goal, the end of that logic. But the assumption, though, is... Anything that anybody might be slightly favorable to that has written about them is a lie. So, any, autobio any biography of Obama is full of lies, and maybe Obama doesn't even exist, because all we have are writings about him that are favorable. Um, or, you have contrary writings. Oh, well... You know, people who hate Obama wrote books about him, so everything that they say is a lie. I don't know, humans are complicated. It, you can't take that as a blanket assumption, and they do. And they don't prove it, they don't have documentary evidence where we can know historically an event happened, and then you have people who say that it didn't happen because it wasn't favorable to them, um, within the context specifically of the Bible. Uh, we don't. We don't have this. They just assume it to be true and move from that. Uh, operate. Uh, operate from that premise. And so that's the biggest problem. Is all of the assumptions that form the foundation, all of their conjecture is built on that. And if you take your base assumptions, it doesn't matter how logical you are. Your base assumptions predetermine your outcome. 
and your your assumptions are there is no God, all of the Christians are a liar that wrote about Jesus, and social evolution dictates that none of this was written when we say it was written. It was written hundreds of years after Jesus' life, presumably. And therefore, uh, you wind up in a world without God and an unreliable Bible full of fairy tales. You, you haven't proved the Bible's unreliable. You haven't proved there's no God. You haven't proved the Bible's full of fairy tales. You assumed that to begin with and then began doing a bunch of fancy three-card Monty with ideas and fancy vocabulary to obfuscate the truth, which is you already believe that there's no God, you already believe that the Bible's a lie, and you just want to sound fancy and show everybody how smart you are. That's crazy. They use words like hypothesis and theory and um, speculate. and These hypothesis and theory are words that have an objective meaning in science, in engineering, in the hard sciences, where if you look at um, your, your hypothesis is always based on some observable reality, and then you base a hypothesis on why is that an observed reality, and then you play that out with, with uh, experimenting. Uh, as an example, pixies make electricity happen is not a valid hypothesis. Because I don't observe pixies, I don't have... So that doesn't make any sense, but that's the level of, that's the way they use hypothesis as this flippant synonym for guess. When they, when they say they have hypotheses about different, and you dig into it, and when you get through all of the jargon and all the grammar, nuanced uh, grammatical things, all they say is, oh, this guy used, uh, is a, in a different way in this part of this book. So it must be a different author. Uh, I, I write stuff all the time that doesn't make sense because halfway through I changed tone because I was thinking about something else while I wrote. It doesn't mean I changed authors instantly. Humans are complicated animals capable of doing a lot of things. And that was a misspeak. Humans aren't animals. They're way more awesome. Uh, but we do have animal-like meat bags and animal tendencies. Um, so it's... Uh, but we are... You know, divinely made in the image of God, just for clarity's sake. So, all they do is based on um, conjecture. They misuse the words hypothesis and theory. Uh, theory is a useful framework that has allowed us to consistently map reality. It's not something inherently provable. Gravity is a theory. You're actually not flying into space. You actually drop things whenever you do not hold them in your hand. The things fall. Um, it's a theory about how gravity works, and it allows us to predict the expected gravity on airplanes, on thrown balls, on firearms for projectiles or arrows. Um, we're able to predict consistently using the theory of gravity, but we can't actually prove gravity, so it's theory. Uh, it's gravitational theory. It's electrical theory. The lights come on in your house just fine, but we don't, we can't prove it's electrons moving back and forth uh, that, that create the voltage. We can't prove that, but 
using that as a predictive model, we're able to know what size wire we need to not burn your house down. Uh, we're able to um, predict the uh, you know the amount of heat that's going to be produced by that amount of current to trip the breaker. Um, I'm an electrician by trade, so it just happens to be what's on my head right now. Um, but so those are all theories, and it's electrical theory. But your motor, electric motors actually work. The lights really do come on in your house. That's not the way they use theory in textual criticism. They use theory and hypothesis as uh, a way of legitimizing conjecture, guesswork. And they, they do not have any evidence. They do not find documents. You know, it'd be one thing if they at least found documents that were partially assembled collections of sayings that, you know, claimed to different authorship, they don't have that. The only documents they find are Gnostic heresy and legitimate copies of the Bible. And the only differences between the multiple documents we have of the Bible texts are grammatical and spelling, and sometimes there'll be a word choice difference, but they're synonyms, and they basically mean the same thing. And that's it. And most of those are in the New Testament from people trying to make some of the Gospels match. Uh, Luke has, uh, Luke will leave some words out, and Matthew has some extra words to like the Lord's Prayer and stuff. And uh, Byz- usually it's in the Byzantine Greek manuscripts that uh, from the Holy Roman Empire days that will um, they'll try and make them fit by adding the extra phrases from Matthew into Luke, and that's it. That's not faith-shattering. It's not like, the Bible's a lie. There's so many translations. No, this is, oh, okay. Uh, That guy was an idiot. And you can see all of the older manuscripts don't have that. Um, The other thing, so, so that's it. There's no evidence. They obfuscate what is effectively guesswork. They make everything blurry and hide in rhetoric and shadows with fancy words what is effectively godless, atheist, heathen, pagan guesswork about the Bible. And that's it. That's all higher criticism is, fundamentally, at its base level. So I don't have to engage with the JDPE theory or any of the other nonsense that they propose, like the Q document. I don't have to deal with that, because they're, they're, all of that is because you've assumed there is no God, because you've assumed that all Christians that have recorded history are liars, then, well, of course, all of your Bible scholarship is going to have those conclusions. I don't need to listen to you. Uh, So, I'm going to go over now some uh, keywords to watch for. Those is to not get sucker. I got a 3x5 card just to keep me from rambling too uh, unfocusedly. Um, So, I'm going to borrow a term from uh, the good Mr. Benjamin. This is wizardry. Um, This is rhetoric. This is uh, putting a fancy word on things to to confuse people and to make smart people have more power by simply making things confusing for no reason, unnecessarily confusing. Um, So things to watch for are when you hear the documentary hypothesis. Uh, This is the assumption that a book is written from multiple documents, not written by the guy it says wrote it. Um, You don't find a Tolkien novel and assume that Tolkien was a pseudonym for multiple authors over about 150 years that slowly edited into a single corpus. That would be stupid. 
a guy wrote it and put his name on it. I mean, they didn't have publishing companies back then, but I think back then everybody knew the guy that wrote it and said, yeah, he wrote it. And then they copied it and copies of copies of copies. And all of the copies that we have match all the other copies we have across languages. Um, I'll, I'll do a whole separate one on the the uh, the historic, the biblical text as a whole. The veracity, the truthfulness, and the historical reliability of the biblical text as a whole as compared to other biblical texts. So I'll, I'll dig into it more at another time. Right now it's just some meaningful overlap. Um, but I'll do a whole thing on it. It's, it's awesome. Um, so that's the, uh, the JDEP theory, the, uh, Jehovah something or other Elohim, whatever. Um, basically they take, oh, the three names for God are used at different times in Genesis. So these are three different, four different authors. <coughs> so we assume four different authors and then we keep on moving. So the JED, JDEP, uh, the documentary hypothesis, oral tradition is one to watch out for, uh, because that these are the phrases that are going to clue you in that this guy is a higher critic. He's a textual critic, and he doesn't believe the Bible's true. Um, whenever they mention or make reference to collected writings or a collection of sayings, uh, they're getting into historical criticism on you. They're not really reading the Bible like it's the Bible. They're just making stuff up because they don't believe God exists because they're a godless atheist pagan. Uh, also, heathen and pagan just mean someone who's not a Christian or a Jew. So all I'm doing is saying godless, atheist, pagan, heathen. That's the same thing in four different ways. But it sounds really condescending and it makes me feel good. Um, the other thing is any reference to redactors or editors... Um, when they're talking about multiple editions or redactors or contributors, they're talking about multiple authors over time editing and editing and see adding junk or taking the bad stuff out to make them look good. Um, any reference to Tubingen school or Hegel, Hegelian dialectic, uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. Tubingen school's a thing, it's a German word. Uh, a lot of the early scholarship in, uh, Christian theology was German, and so there's a lot of German words and uh, a lot of hangover in uh, a lot of German names and um, a lot of German, early Germanic uh, scholars and stuff. Uh, the Q document gets uh, mentioned quite a bit nowadays, especially in regards to the synoptic problem. The idea that the synoptic problem is a problem is from textual criticism that we have to deal with it now, but it's, it's preposterous. Um, I'll, I'll do one on the, the Gospels and stuff at some time. Um, the Q document, Q stands for some fancy German word that's like eight syllables, I can't remember. Uh, but it just refers to the document other than the Gospels that the Gospels used to write from because we've assumed that they were copied from shorter collections of sayings. So it's a potentially earlier document that Mark used as inspiration and predates all of the Gospels, but... It doesn't exist. We've never found one. Uh, we've never found parts of one. We've never found partially written Gospels that made us think there was one. They just guessed that it exists, and they created it out of the ether. It's, it doesn't exist. Um, and I'll, I'll briefly on the synoptic problem, the synoptic problem is that the Gospels match a lot, and then they don't also match uh, for the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why is that a problem? There's three eyewitnesses. 
So you've got two eyewitness accounts and a third account that states explicitly it was composed by consulting eyewitnesses, by a historian, by a man who is seen as a peerless historian by secular scholars who are studying ancient Greek literature. Um, his acts is seen widely as a, his, a great work by an ancient historian, and for some reason it's preposterous that multiple eyewitnesses aren't agreeing on the exact order of events or the exact wording of certain events. That's what eyewitnesses do, is they, they match largely on the big picture and then some of the details don't always fit. Add to that, Jesus spent three years wandering around preaching. Have you ever listened to a traveling preacher? Have you ever listened to a TED Talk given by somebody whose other uh, keynote speeches you follow? Yeah, they say the same thing over and over again. They use the same stories over and over again. It's not impossible that Jesus used the same sermon more than one time. And in that had very similar reactions more than one time with multiple people. So, yeah, details might not match up because it's the same event told from a couple different perspectives and they only talk about the one guy that was important but there really were three people there. Or the, the same event happened. Jesus heals leopards a zillion times. It, it's probable that those leopards are going to say the same thing over and over again. Anybody who's worked at cash register knows. Oh, there's no price tag on it. It's free, right? <laughs> you want to tear your own eyeballs out by the last time that you've heard that joke. Every time you hear that joke. Because it's not a joke. Because it's not funny. Because everybody says it. Oh, you have a cast on. Well, how'd you break your arm? You hear it all the time. People are predictable, by and large. And so it makes sense that Jesus behaved very consistently with Similar accounts all over the place. It's not a problem, per se, but they make it a problem. Also, quick note, Luke is the only author who says he's writing things down in a chronological order. Everybody else just writes it as it, and they're like, oh, here it is. Cathexes uh, means a chronological or sequential order. I will fight you on it. Yes, it does. Your Greek lexicon on the New Testament is wrong. So... He's the only one that really should be held up to any sort of rigor for the sequencing of events in historicity. All right, that's a huge tangent, but it bothers me. Synoptic problem is not really a problem. Uh, and then John doesn't match because he says he's aware of the other Gospels, and so I'm writing this to fill in some of the gaps. Jesus did a lot of stuff, guys. That's how he ends his Gospel. Robert's paraphrase. Uh, so, um, the other thing is any reference to things being gradually developed or any argument that pushes the date of writing of a book to a more recent date, things closer to us in time rather than farther back in the past. Uh, and that is always going to be because they need more time for the oral tradition to matriculate into a finished written work. Because they assume that's how it happened, because it has to happen that way, because they don't believe in God, because they have to, because they don't want to be accountable for their actions. So, uh, just briefly, too, it's, it's really important that there has been no documentary evidence supporting this view of Scripture at all. 
that's significant because there are only about, I don't know, 13 or 14 copies of Homer's The Odyssey. Uh, you can look it up. I'm, I'm within a, I'm within five of, of being the right number. And it's, that's a big deal. That's a really well-attested document. That's probably the best attested historical uh, Greek writing, Greek story that we have. Uh, and I, I don't think that number includes uh, some of the other translations of, um, you know, of uh, different languages other than Greek, like Latin and, and other, other translations of uh, ancient, older ancient translations of the uh, Homer's The Odyssey. I think that's just Greek. So, you'll, you'll have to check the details. But it's, it's still, it's way less than 20. There are 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Between uh, entire books and fragments, a total of 5,800 documents. Just Greek. There are around 10,000 translations in ancient Latin. There are 9,000 and change translations of all other, of the other languages, between Aramaic and Coptic and... Um, Slavic and all the other stuff. That's a lot. That is like two orders of magnitude more than any other ancient document. Nobody disputes that Alexander the Great is a real person. Nobody disputes that Julius Caesar was a real person who lived and did stuff. You know, maybe the details, maybe times and dates they'll they'll quibble over. Uh, but we want to argue that Jesus never existed? That's a crazy premise and a standard you don't hold any other historical figure to. That's weird. Um, so I've, I've got more, but just to put things in context, all of that, the only differences between documents, we don't have partially redactions, we don't have collections of sayings, you know, all of the stuff outside of the New Testament documents are known Gnostic heresies. They're labeled by the early church as heresies. You can read it, and it, it doesn't fit any of the rest of the scripture uh, tonally. The authorship is disputed. It is literally ancient fan fiction about Jesus. And they are all hundreds of years uh, newer than are some of the newest um, New Testament documents. And so that, the other thing is, all of those thousands and thousands of documents, of that's just the New Testament, by the way. That's not including the Old Testament texts. Just New Testament. And, like, 80% of those are older than 700 A.D. The Bible's a really good historical source, uh, resource. And there's no reason to treat it any differently than any other historical document. And that's exactly what historical criticism does, is it treats the Bible differently because they've assumed that there is no God. And if they read the Bible honestly, and they treat it like they would any other historical document, it proves true, and it proves there is a God, and explains why there's evil in the world, and it shows you that there's a way to escape sin and death, and they can't handle it. Because they're a bunch of godless pagans. And so, that's that. Textual criticism, higher criticism, it's all malarkey, it's all wrong, and you can wholesale dismiss it. Don't get suckered into their lies and nonsense. 
Um, and just have your filter, have your BS filter on when you're listening to it. Um, it's uh, when you're listening to any TV Bible scholar talk, uh, anytime somebody mentions Bible stuff in a movie or uh, history stuff, you can guarantee dollars to donuts. It'll be from higher criticism. All right. Google all the stuff I said. You'll find that's accurate to what modern uh, biblical scholarship in secular universities teach. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, there are still good institutions like uh, Dallas Theological Seminaries. A lot of the theological seminaries and a lot of um, Bible colleges specifically do teach the uh, conservative dates. It's conservative Bible scholarship is what it's called. And so when you're looking for the dates of uh, historical events that occur in the Bible, you want to look for the conservative dates. Um, you want to look for conservative scholarship. And that's going to keep you on the... What is common sense path? What is a common sense path of you read the Bible like it's any other book because it's not special. And then as you do that, you find out, oh, it is special. It's very likely that it's the word of God himself, the creator of the entire universe. So uh, that's that's where I'm at on things. Uh, that's why I wholesale dismiss higher criticism. I felt it was worth going into a little more detail and then I'll, I'll get back into the weeds on a, a Bible thing next time. Remember, these are all really general overviews, and I want to take somebody who has no prior knowledge about Christianity or the Bible and move them kind of down the road a little bit and just equip them with a vocabulary and a, a mental framework to continue reading the Bible and uh, viewing biblical scholarship uh, critically so they don't just take what they're fed. All right, uh, that's all I got. And uh, once again, don't take my word for it. Do your own research and homework, and I will see you next time. Godspeed.